Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. We try to urge our membership and, and all blind people to, to be good self-advocates as a first step, kind of call the four Ps. One is you, you start by being polite about it. You inform. A lot of times they're not doing it. It's not malicious. It's just lack of understanding. Be professional. You should be persuasive, not so much emotional, but persuasive and factual. And to be persistent. I don't want people to think that uh, because we're polite, that doesn't mean we're going to, as far as the National Federation of the Blind, that we're easily going to give in. And today we'll be talking about the NFB and some of the advocacy work that it does for visually impaired people. We'll speak with John Perre, Executive Director for Advocacy and Policy at the National Federation of the Blind, about some of their work and the impact that it's had. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from John Perre. My tip for blind people is that one of the ways that you can help improve your life and the life of all other blind people in America today and in the future is to be active in terms of promoting legislation that would improve the lives of blind people. And it, that, that is in something that you have to do. You can do it. We, you can be part of the team. And I urge you to be part of the team. And we need you to be part of the team. We need to work together to improve the lives of blind people. And without you, we won't be as successful. So I urge you to get involved, to be optimistic, and together we will do something. And as he says, although the National Federation of the Blind often takes the role in advocating for visually impaired folks, it's up to us to pitch in and be our own self-advocates very often. And that applies in so many ways. Support for Eyes on Success is provided by a site, wearable electronic eyeglasses that support visual ability for people who are low vision or blind with visual acuity of 2600 or better. More information about the Acesight family is online at acesight.com. You are listening to Eyes on Success. 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 Let's start by meeting John and learning about the National Federation of the Blind. Hi, my name is John Perret, and I am the Executive Director for Advocacy and Policy at the National Federation of the Blind. Most of your members and most of our listeners have visual impairments. Do you? Yes, I do. I, I do still have some residual vision, but I would describe myself as a blind person. And how long have you been at the NFB? I've worked here for 15 years. I've probably been a member for about 18 years. And what is your exact role? What do you do from day to day? So we have a team of about uh, six people who help work with our 50,000 members to do legislative advocacy. We really do it at the national level, the state level, and the local level. As far as the work that I'm involved in and, and, and the folks here in Baltimore at our Jernigan Institute headquarters, we're more involved at the national and state level, not very much at the very local level. 
and the NFB has been doing that kind of advocacy work for a long time. Yeah, since 1940, when we were founded, really the thought was that blind people needed to start speaking for ourselves. We had a good idea of what blind people needed the most. And by uh, organizing ourselves, a lot of times we refer to ourselves as the voice of the organized blind. And I think a lot of the legitimacy of that is the fact that uh, our membership is predominantly blind. The leaders um, are predominantly blind. And the fact that they're elected, so whether it's at the chapter level, the state level, or the national level, they're all really blind people who have been elected by blind people. And I think your name particularly embraces that concept because it's the National Federation of the Blind, not the National Federation for the Blind, as many other associations for the blind have in their name. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, a lot of times we'll say of is the most important word in our name. So that is a very important distinguishment of the National Federation of Blind. And I appreciate that you would even point it out. (laughs) That's how I remember which is which is because (laughs) you guys use of. Yes, yes. From our founding in 1940, that is that has been critical. And it's so much uh, fundamental to our philosophy Uh, We also will say that where the voice of the nation is blind, and more recently that uh, the National Federation of the Blind knows that blindness is not the characteristic that defines you or your future, and the idea that a blind person can can live the life that they, they want to live. Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Underwriting pairs the impact of targeted marketing with the integrity of community goodwill. Learn more by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is the advocacy work done by the folks at the NFB. In a few weeks, we'll be talking about some of the services that the NFB offers for very young people, working all the way up to old people in terms of rehabilitation and education. But today, we wanted to focus on your role at NFB and some of the important advocacy work that the NFB does. So we probably focus on about 10 issues per year, of which three or four get our very highest level of attention. But the key is to get legislation introduced to try to build co-sponsor support and get the the bill or legislation to the president's desk. Maybe to give a slight more background, almost all of our, our activities are in the area of education, employment, and civil rights. We want to improve educational opportunities, employment opportunities, and help protect the civil rights of blind people in America. And what are some of your major initiatives? The first one is, I would say, kind of a combination of education and employment. It's referred to as the Access Technology Affordability Act. This bill would create a $2,000 refundable tax credit for use over a three-year period for the purchase of access technology. So that could be uh, screen reading software like JAWS, something that I personally use. Uh, It could be refreshable braille displays. It could be note takers, things of that nature. Very expensive things, specialized equipment that really only blind people have to buy to help make, typically make their computers work or to, to uh, interact with, with printed material. That bill is, is going quite well. We're up to 125 co-sponsors in the House, 24 in the Senate. It's extremely bipartisan. And the need for it has been 
significantly exacerbated as a result of COVID-19. I'll bet. Yeah. You talk about getting access technology to blind students and blind employees, and that's so important. And not every employer or educational institution is as enlightened as others. We consider ourselves extremely fortunate that from day one, when Pete was hired by Xerox, first of all, they hired him. And second of all, they had a corporate policy to provide whatever technology was necessary for him to be able to perform up to his ability. Well, I commend Xerox for doing that. And there's sort of a distinction here, and that is companies, uh, really schools, and and especially companies have have a requirement and frequently will have this at work. The problem is you don't have it at home. And so we want blind people to be able to own this equipment and have it in their own house and especially, as you mentioned, you could have this when you have get your job. But the question is, how do you get your job in the first place? You need to have the equipment at home that you can apply for the job, you can search for the job, and then you can do a certain amount of work at home like other people do. They might be checking their email and other things. So if you don't have a sort of infrastructure in your home, that's going to be a tremendous problem. And this bill does not get you the core computer. Blind people should have to still buy the same thing everyone else should buy. It's the extra items like a refreshable braille display or an embosser or JAWS, which can can be far more expensive than the underlying computer in the first place. That's what this refundable tax credit would help do. Yes, that's a great idea. So if you don't have those things to begin with, that's going to severely hinder your uh, employment opportunities. So I think that's why Congress has heard our message. They say this makes sense. We want to increase uh, employment opportunities, educational opportunities. When it comes to employment, 70% of blind Americans do not have full year, full-time employment, leaving only 30% who do. And that's outrageous. And so if we can, if we can have a bill that would help get the tools in the hands of blind people to help increase employment and educational opportunities, That's just really the right thing to do. Absolutely. So what is the second uh, project that you've been working on you'd like to talk about? Sure. Uh, Greater accessibility and independence through non-visual access technology. A very big name, long name. Uh, I'll simplify it a bit. We want to have, again, more accessibility in three areas. First, medical equipment. And this is home-based medical equipment. It could be especially things like your diabetes, your uh, blood glucose monitors, uh, or a CGM, or, or other things, it's a con- continuous glucose monitor, things like that, that you have to have in your home should be accessible, especially for medical, especially now in COVID-19. So we need to have accessible home-based medical equipment. And you're also involved in other projects. What else would you like to talk about? Exercise equipment. Maybe if we had more accessible exercise equipment, we wouldn't need as much medical equipment. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, we're all for that. So, and it's not hard to do. You can, you, there's already a standard, for example, to put earbuds on treadmills so that you would operate them almost like you operate at ATM, where you'd have a keyboard and you'd be able to you know, pick certain things and there'd be an audio menu and you'd go through and you could program it and set it and do the things that everyone else does with their menus. Right now, some of these things are so complicated, you can, you can barely turn them on and off. 
Yes, we're very careful when we buy stuff like that to look at what the user interface is. Yes. I mean, if there are some buttons, we can often label them in Braille, but if they have these menus with many layers and you don't know where you are in the menu, you're lost. Exactly, exactly. So that's what this would help with. And then um, third would be your, your basic home appliances. So this could be uh, very similar to what you just described. Microwaves now, you just don't turn them on and push that you want something for, for a high 30 seconds. Now you have to, a lot of times they'll say you have to select what you're cooking. It's a popcorn or something. And then you have, or it's, it's some sort of uh, piece of, of food and they want to know how many pounds it is and it's interactive and then it's going to cook it for the right amount of time. So things have actually gone backwards for blind people. These changes have made it harder to operate basic things like microwave, dishwashers, wash machines. And it doesn't have to be that way. There could be, the, again, the simple earbud idea where you could operate these things so that people who wanted the, say, the highly visual uh, interfaces could still have them. But people who were blind or low vision, of which there's a growing number every day due to people living longer and the various age-related uh, eye diseases, they would still be able to operate the equipment. So it's good business. It makes good sense. It'd be good for America. And we, uh, we really hope that we can move that forward. Yeah, and these days, those speech technologies, they're not nearly as expensive as they were years ago. This is really not much of an add-on to be able to put into current technology. Absolutely true. Well, and we just ran into exactly what you're talking about. We bought a new house, and the sellers were so proud of themselves, they put in all smart appliances. Right. Well, this was a problem. But it turns out that the washer and the dryer are so smart that I actually found a custom program option, and I could put a raised dot on that. And now, assuming we don't mind using the same program every time we run the washer and dryer, now Pete can use the washer and the dryer and the dishwasher. I imagine you're both happy that Pete can now do the laundry. We are. I think I'm happier than he is, but he was complaining for the first few weeks, so I figured I had to solve his problem. Yeah, nice. Very nice. So she got me back to work again. So what's the next project that you want to highlight? All right. Uh, accessible Instructional Material in Higher Education. So this is a bill where we have been conferring with the um, American Council on Education. It's a organization that represents virtually every a higher education university in the country, as far as uh, sort of a trade group, uh, the American Association of Publishers, representing all the textbook manufacturers, and even um, Software uh, Industry and Information Association, SIIA, representing so all the tech companies and, and the NFB, to try to come up with legislation that would prove accessibility for all the things that students encounter in higher education. Uh, there's certain differences between the K-12 and higher ed, not only besides the material, but just how it's delivered that really requires a unique solution in higher ed. And so uh, this bill would create a commission, a purpose-based commission, meaning its only job would be this one thing, and it would be time-limited to help create guidelines for schools because a lot of the schools, they want to do the right thing, but they're not completely sure how to do that. So if there were more official guidelines on how to 
uh, make things accessible, how to buy more things accessible in the first place, we think that that could be a big difference. So that's what this commission would, uh, this bill would authorize the creation of this commission that would then propagate these guidelines. And uh, there's, you know, as I mentioned, sort of all the significant stakeholders are 100% for it. It took quite a while to get us all on the same page, actually a couple of years, but as of about January 1st this year, we, we are all on the same page. We have legislation introduced that we all support and uh, if it wasn't for COVID-19, I anticipate it would have already passed. Well, that would be great. You know, I've been kind of surprised. We've talked with some students over the past few years recently about accessibility and access to material in higher education. And I was kind of surprised at the problems they were having. I always assumed that, you know, access was pretty good these days in terms of computers and speech synthesizers, OCR, but they've had some real difficulties in some cases. So I guess this is some needed legislation and something for people to think about. Oh, absolutely. We, of course, talked to thousands of blind college students and uh, and they are members. And there are some that are at schools that are doing, the school is doing a good job. Their teachers are doing a good job. They're uh, Disabled Student Services are doing a good job, and they're they're very pleased. But there's other schools that that are not in that category that we need to really bring up and elevate. And I think this bill would try to create a standard across the entire country that would be good for for higher education students. Yeah, the problem that strikes me is that these students, you know, they'll go to a college or university, even with a few thousand students, but they're the first blind student who's been there in long enough that nobody who works there, even in the disability office, knows anything about how to accommodate them. And so the student winds up teaching the people who are supposed to be providing the services about how to get what they need. Agreed. That is, that's a challenge. This is um, both, you know, a thing where we have to do more to educate the schools and also educate the students. We work very hard to educate the students to try to be uh, good at being self-advocates and all these things. One of the first steps is to be a good self-advocate. And so we, we try to urge our membership and, and all blind people to, to be good self-advocates as a first step. That's very important to learn how to advocate for yourself because you know your needs best. Yes. And you need to be able to communicate that to people. And we do that. I just want to mention, we, we urge people first and foremost to be polite and professional. I kind of call the four Ps. One is you, you start by being polite about it. You inform. A lot of times they're not doing it. It's not malicious. It's just lack of understanding. So if you be polite, be professional, you should be persuasive. Try to explain exactly what, you know, try to, why is this a problem? Why, how can it be fixed? But be, be persuasive, not so much emotional, but persuasive and factual. And to be persistent. I don't want people to think that uh, because we're polite, that we're easily going to give in because that we have absolutely no intention of doing that. You've spoken about a number of laws that you're trying to shepherd through Congress right now. Are there any that you oppose that you think aren't good ideas? Sometimes stuff pops up that we don't like. There is a bill that's popped up uh, called the Safe to Work Act. This is very specific to COVID-19. It was only introduced a couple of weeks ago in the Senate. And uh, it has to do with extending a number of liability exceptions during the COVID-19 timeframe. 
And one of the exceptions it extends, and I'm gonna simplify it a little bit, but it, it extends a lot of exceptions to the need to adhere to the Americans with Disabilities Act. We're absolutely against this, that's wrong. And the thing is, the Americans with Disabilities Act already has sort of built in flexibility. And so we don't need to sort of eliminate the protection that the ADA affords, if anything, you know, this is the time where we want to make sure that these protections are maintained. And we're not opposed to the entire bill. Some of it, we, the National Federation of Blind, don't consider it to be sort of in our area of expertise. And we'll use the term that we like to stay in our lane, meaning if it has to do with blindness, we will have an opinion. But if it's not having to do with blindness, that's, that's not our area of expertise. So the rest of the bill is not in our lane. Uh, we don't have an opinion. It's only Section 181. And it's only the, actually the ADA part of Section 181 that we oppose and we urge that, that is amended out of the bill. It has not passed either the Senate or the House. The upcoming election has gotten an awful lot of attention in the news. And we've done a few shows about voting rights most recently last year during election season. Are you working on anything currently related to voting rights? We're working very hard on voting. Another thing that we think it's absolutely essential that blind people have a private and independent vote. And I should even back up. We think every American should have a private and independent vote. That's part of our democracy. And that includes blind people, everyone, including blind people. There's a concept. <laughs> but for the longest time, people didn't probably realize that blind people didn't have that because, you know, you go through 50 years ago, you would go to the polling place and you'd walk in and there'd be a paper ballot of some kind or something you'd have to read and you'd pull a push buttons, pull a lever. So you needed help. And back then you'd go in and you'd have uh you, you, at one time, you couldn't even bring your own help. You, you would, there'd be an election judge, plus there'd have to be someone from the Democratic side, plus someone from the Republican side, all trying to make sure that there was no undue influence. So you actually had to vote with three people. So it was you plus three, all crowded into these little <laughs> old-fashioned voting booths. So it's more like a, like a party than a, than a private independent vote. So um, when the Help America Vote Act came around, and things were moving much more to in-person electronic voting, this was fantastic because those could be made accessible. And there was a sentence inserted into the Help America Vote Act that says that every polling place in America must have at least one machine that is non-visually accessible to provide a private and independent vote. And that is still the law. Now, we think that that needs to make sure that as we potentially vote from home or vote by mail, that you preserve this. Uh, in two ways. One, you try to make sure that we have this equipment, that you, there's ways to use your own computer to mark a paper ballot. And um, that's how I voted in the last election here in Maryland. Maryland has, has that software. And as a blind person, I can request this special software to mark my ballot. And so I can preserve uh, a private and independent vote, even voting from home. But not everyone's going to have that software. So you still need to have some ability to vote in person. So we try to make sure that there's still a certain number of in-person places so that a blind person can go and use the equipment that I referred to earlier. 
So we're focused in a very bipartisan way to preserve the right of uh, all Americans, especially blind Americans, no matter whether they're voting in person or by mail to a private and independent vote. Yeah. Well, we all certainly appreciate the efforts of the NFB on behalf of all blind people, and we commend you for that work. Thank you. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about the National Federation of the Blind and the work they are doing, how to get involved yourself, and how to contact them. So if people are interested in finding out more about the NFB and some of the work you do, where would you direct them? First thing I would do is just go to our website, www.nfb.org, start to learn about what we're all about and start to read some of the uh, press releases, some of the speeches, uh, learn about our divisions, our chapters, and my passion, some of the legislative work, go look at some of our uh, fact sheets. Uh, You'll have to drill down to the area of the advocacy and policy section, but we have um, short papers uh, that summarize the issues that we're working on and join a chapter and and contact your member of Congress and make your voice heard. That's what I would urge folks to do. And for people who do want to get involved personally, you have chapters in every state and territory? Correct. All 50 states, Washington, D.C., Puerto Rico. So we have at the, we have the national level, which primarily meets once a year at a national convention. Uh, every state meets once a year in a, in a state-level convention, uh, including D.C. and Puerto Rico, so 52 of those a year. And then on a monthly basis, approximately 700 chapters meet. That is the core of the NFB, is when we meet once a month at the local level, and you get to talk to people that, can be, that are your friends, and they're in the area, and they're experiencing the same thing that you're experiencing as a blind person, the same challenges, but also the same solution. So depending on where you are, if you are maybe early in your journey, uh, you can talk to people. And uh, if you have a lot of experience, if, like Peter, you have a lot of experience, you can be one of our mentors. So no matter where you are, you're either going to be a mentee or a mentor. We need you either way. Do you have a social media presence? The NFB is NFB underscore voice. And I do have a personal Twitter feed, John G. Perret, at, uh is my handle, J-O-H-N-G-P-A-R-E. And if people wanted to contact you or some official other avenue at the NFB, what email address or phone number would they use? Welcome to reach me at my email, which is J-P-A-R-E at NFB.org. Uh, If I'm not the right person, I'll forward your email to the person within the NFB that could be helpful. And of course, you can find all of that contact information in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. And remember, in a few weeks, we'll be talking about some of the NFB services in terms of rehabilitation and education for people of all ages. So you might want to catch that. That's it for show number 2044. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about how you can learn to play music by ear. 
Bill Brown has developed a series of audio programs that you can download or purchase as CD in which he walks through step-by-step instructions for a wide variety of instruments and you can learn to play any genre you're interested in pretty much on your favorite instrument. If you're interested in music, you might want to catch us for that episode next week. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.